Go with me to the book of Isaiah. Uh, The book of Isaiah, I want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around right now, and uh, you can just uh, get their attention. They would love to give you one. Um, Or you can follow along with us on the Bible app, and we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, we are in our second week of celebrating the season of Advent, and I know for many of you, uh, that, that may be actually kind of unfamiliar. You may not have grown up in uh, traditions that were celebrating Advent like that, and so we've, we've kind of been learning a, a little bit about that here, uh, that the, the word Advent uh, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And, and so what's happening here, for the next few weeks, we're, we're in this season, really a season of waiting, as we're uh, looking forward to uh, uh, the celebration of the coming of our Savior Jesus as a baby. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And what we're doing um, is we're really kind of taking a look at at, uh, what the coming of Christ really brought to us. And uh, we're we're looking forward with eager anticipation and hope um, for what's coming in his uh, second coming. And uh, so traditionally, when you celebrate Advent, it's over uh, four Sundays, and we've got our Advent wreath here, and you celebrate uh, what Christ's coming brought to us in, in hope and in peace and in joy and in love. And so today, uh, we are looking at peace. And um, I think anybody who's ever been in any kind of conflict understands the value of peace. If you ever uh, experience some kind of tension in your life or the minute you kind of uh, turn around and you start considering all of the, uh, the things that are happening worldwide, uh, you begin to realize this is kind of part of living in a broken world and we need peace. You see it on a, on, on a global scale, scale. You step back and you realize all the natural disasters and, and, and uh, political divides and tension between economic powers and, and economic disparity that we have and, and, and political unrest and, and, and violence and, and hatred and humanitarian crises and just and, and bloodshed and horror. And honestly, things that, that, that for most of us basically just exist on a screen, for, but for a lot of people uh, around the world, This is just kind of a daily reality that they live with. It doesn't take long for you to step back and watch the news and realize that our world is a mess and desperately needs peace. But it also kind of hits close to home sometimes, and it's personal. Because we are dealing sometimes with unresolved conflict, uh, maybe in your family, um, maybe broken relationships, the uh, struggling with the consequences of our own sins and our own uh, failures. Sometimes tragedy strikes and we, we're, we're dealing with the uncertainty of the future. And then, then for those of us who are following Christ, we just have this like daily struggle of trying to follow him despite uh, we're, we're, we've got this flesh that we're trying to put to death and we're trying to live for Christ in a world that just hates Jesus and hates the things that he stands for. In fact, Jesus even told us this, that in the world you will have tribulation. Count on it. So we need peace. And the celebrating Advent season is just a reminder that that's possible. You you think about the 
uh, silent night at the manger on a Christmas card is really just the picture of peace, isn't it? You, you, can, you can envision the nativity scene, and you probably got one up in your house right now, and, and, and it brings all these warm, fuzzy feelings. And, and, and while I think that that night was probably anything but silent, that baby really did bring peace and a peace that the world desperately needs. And so here's the big idea I want to give you this morning before we dive into Isaiah chapter 9. If you're taking notes, note this. Only Jesus can bring lasting peace to the chaos and the darkness of this world. And that's what we're looking at this morning. That's what I want to show you in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, a passage that's not all uh, too unfamiliar to us. So I want you to be here, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, we just, we, we're thankful for these promises. We're thankful for this season. We love it. It's a fun season, and yet it's a time where we step back and we remember that you are this great, glorious, holy God who is awesome in power, and, and, and you are the mighty God. You are everlasting father you are uh, the king you're the prince that we need and so um, as, as we've already reflected this morning we are thankful for what you came to do for us and thankful that this awesome holy God who is uh, beyond uh, comparison would step down into our world and uh, take on flesh and become one of us so that you could bear the uh, the penalty for our sins that that we could not and you did what we could not you You did it, Lord. You accomplished what we failed to do. And and so we're so thankful for the sacrifice of your son that brings us peace. And I pray that we would celebrate that. I pray that this would be real. Many of us are feeling the need for this right now. I pray that you just encourage us with this truth. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, man, I I told you this is kind of a familiar passage for us. and some awesome truths in here, but I want to show you two promises that I see here for a broken world in need of peace, and and, and this one is just so encouraging to me. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we see here. Darkness doesn't last. I just love that. Darkness doesn't last. Uh, This whole passage actually starts in an atmosphere of of darkness and gloom and sadness and and anguish and distress. And I think he he does that so that what God does to change that uh, event is is really going to stand in stark contrast. 
Isaiah is uh, prophesying of coming judgment of, uh, on God's people. But uh, while, while that's not necessarily fun news, he's also kind of helping us understand the, the hope of, of God's grace in the midst of that horrible state. And so when, when we read this passage, our minds immediately jump to the manger scene, which they should. And yet when Isaiah was writing this, there's some kind of historical context that we kind of need to, to, to get so that we understand why is Isaiah writing this and, and, and how would that have really spoken to God's people at the time that he was writing it? And so, so at, the, at the moment that, that Isaiah is penning these words, Israel is facing this threat of the Assyrian army from the north coming in to invade them. They've got this enemy in the north, which is why I think Isaiah references in verse one there that God brought into the land uh, contempt, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, that may not be something that you're like, you know, I don't know why it's even included there. So let's put this up on a map so that we kind of understand what's happening here. This is how God had divided the promised land for the tribes of Israel. And if you notice, up here is Naphtali and Zebulun right up by the area of the Sea of Galilee in the north. And we just said that the Assyrian army was coming from which direction? Okay, so... Which area do you think gets hit first when the Assyrians show up? Yeah, so let's show the next map then. You can kind of see it here. Here are some of the battles that are coming down. It's right there in that in the land of Naphtali, in the land of Zebulun, in this area, this territory of the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. And uh, they were hit really hard by the Assyrian invasion in 732 BC, leaving them, Isaiah says, in gloom and in anguish. But, but when you see the Sea of Galilee, when you hear Galilee, where does your mind go? I hope it goes to Jesus. And so, so Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter four, he, he tells us that, that as Jesus, as soon as he was baptized and then he went out into the wilderness uh, to be tempted, as soon as he was done with that, he went back to the area of Galilee and it was there in that area of Galilee that he launched his ministry. In fact, Matthew chapter four quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter nine, uh, verses one and two to show the messianic fulfillment of this prophecy in Jesus. Verse 2, that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I want you to notice the verb tense there. No, 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 notice the way that, that Isaiah is describing what's happening. He's talking about some events that are going to happen in the future as if they've already happened. And I think the reason that he does that is, is to help give them some confidence in the certainty of God's promises. He said he was going to do this. And their current reality is, is, is painful, and they're just like desperately in need of some peace in the midst of this chaos and the anguish that they're experiencing because of the oppression. Like, I, I know it's dark. In fact, it's some like, like really, it's a darkness that's felt, but it will not always be so. The light is coming, and those who believe it can already see it. Which is how he describes it, verse 3. He, said, he, he, he helps us understand that this, this gloom, this, this, this anguish that they were feeling, it turns to joy. And he gives us a couple of metaphors. He, he gives us the metaphor of, of the harvest and the, the spoils of war. So he's like, okay, I want you to like, 
it's, it's the feelings that you would get, uh, like, like, like the abundance of the harvest as you're sitting around the table and you're feasting and, uh, and you just see what, what God has brought in and you're just giving thanks. That's, that's how it feels. Or, or it's like the, the spoils of war, like the joy and the relief and the freedom that you would feel of the victory in battle over, over your enemy. So, so, so what he's trying to help you understand is where once there was despair, now there is joy because the darkness doesn't last. So Christmas is kind of uh, the season for lights, right? We went down uh, last night to the uh, boat parade in uh, Alexandria and watching all of these like yachts and boats that, that we could never afford. And well, we saw a little like life raft and Chris and I were like, oh, there's our boat. Like we, we, we can do that. And everybody like decorates it with lights and you know, it's a lot of fun. And you've been walking around and seeing lights everywhere. Everything's bright. Everything's, you know, sparkly and fun and, and, and festive. And, and we get into the nostalgia and we listen to like Santa baby a thousand times. And, 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 and we start watching all these dumb movies that to be honest, they're like not all that great. But because it's, because it's Christmas, we're like, oh, this is the best. And it's just this spirit of, of, of Christmas and the, and the holiday cheer, and, and, and we love it, okay? We love it. But that doesn't mean that all of our problems just kind of disappear for a few weeks in December. In fact, sometimes this, this time of year, for a lot of people, um, this time can just be especially challenging and painful. And I know um, some of you are grieving the loss of, of loved ones this year, and it, it feels weird to try to be cheerful when you know, uh, you know people that you know and love are, are struggling and hurting. And, and, then, and then this time of year also, like it's, it's the holidays. So we get together with you know, people that we know and love and family and all of that. And so sometimes it just highlights some of the tension uh, that we may have in some of those relationships, and, and, and it can be painful to watch people that, that you love who are just making bad choices and ruining their lives, and, and, and that's hard. But, but it also sometimes is just like personal. Sometimes you just like personally feel weighed down by life and just the, 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 the darkness of the circumstances, and, and you've been praying a lot about it, and you've been going through this, you, you, you know, you're like asking God to help you. It just feels tough. It just feels dark. Well, the Advent is telling us that because Christ has come and because he's coming again, we can have light in the midst of the darkness and, and the certainty of hope that the darkness will not last forever, that the light of Christ bursts through. In fact, he gives us a couple promises. Can I show you some of these? I want to show you what Jesus told us in John chapter 14. I've got this one for you on, on the screen. I want you to see now this is in the upper room as he's meeting with his disciples and uh, right before he goes to the cross, here's what he says. Listen, peace I leave with you. And Jesus is about to go to the cross, okay? So let's just like, keep that in mind as he's saying this. But he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And Jesus is promising that he is going to give this peace, and it's a peace that's going to be in your heart. Like you, you don't have to lose heart. Let's, let's be clear, though. That he, he's not saying that he's going to um, 
change all of your circumstances the way that you wish he would right now and, and, and just make everything better like in your time. Like he, but, but here's what he does promise. In fact, just two chapters later in chapter 16, check this out. Uh, he's still in the same discourse. He says this, I have said these things to you that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's like, guys, it's gonna be hard. Like, that's, that's part of uh, living in this chaotic and dark world that's broken by the curse of sin. And sometimes we're gonna feel it. But what he's saying is even in the midst of that, we can have peace. Because our peace is in Jesus. Our, our peace is not in a place or in a position or better circumstances. Our peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances get. It doesn't matter how dark your days have grown. It can even be a deep darkness. So something that you feel in that his light still shines through in the midst of that. In fact, one of the things that we've been reading recently in our small groups was Psalm 23. And of course, you know this, but I want you to see this Psalm 23. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That word shadow is the same word used right here in verse 2 of the deep darkness. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And what an amazing testimony it is to see believers in Jesus who are walking through deep, dark valleys, but doing it with, with hope and with joy and, and with a sense of, of peace that doesn't even make sense. That, that's a powerful testimony. And what I want to tell you is when, when you're going through whatever it is that that God is taking you through right now. I know that sometimes it's heavy. I know that sometimes uh, it's, it hurts, it's painful. Uh, but we can go through deep darkness knowing that the God of all comfort and the God of all peace is with us. And that our peace is in him. And we have this assurance. Hey, listen, that darkness is not gonna last. And so when you're feeling it and then the next time you're kind of like up all night and tossing and turning and just you feel like it's just kind of weighing down by all these thoughts and fears and the darkness just feels all threatening and all consuming. It's like I can't think of anything else. He, uh, remember what uh, Paul said, it, it, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like, I know it might, it might feel heavy right now. It might feel hopeless. Like, it's not going to end. But, but what he's trying to help us understand is we step back and we look at it, we realize that, that this is barely a blip on the radar in light of eternity and what Christ has promised to us. And then he's going to strengthen us and he's going to sustain you in and through whatever circumstances you are in so that you have your peace in him that surpasses understanding. And you just know the darkness doesn't last. Which, which actually leads us to this second glorious promise, and I love this. This is such an encouragement for us. If you're taking notes, note this. Here, here's, here's the contrast, okay? Peace in Jesus lasts forever. Man, that's an awesome truth for us. The darkness doesn't last, but peace in Christ lasts forever because only Jesus can bring lasting peace 
to the chaos and the darkness of this world. Just, just, just remember that the threat that Israel is facing right now is this, this scary enemy, kind of an ominous, threatening enemy from the north who wants to come in and destroy them. But, but Israel, uh, or Isaiah rather, is using this imagery in verses four and five uh, of God's victory. He, he kind of uses this poetic language of victory to assure them they're not always going to be the victims and, and the casualties of war. Look, look at what he says in verse 4. The, the rod of the oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Okay, so, so when you hear the word Midian, your mind should like immediately going back to, well, where have we heard that before? Like we, remember, you remember the story of Gideon? Gideon and Midian, you get that? Like Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Back then, the, the Midianites were oppressing God's people. And so God picked out and called a man named Gideon to go out and fight and to save Israel. And you remember, Gideon was like not so sure about that plan. Uh, and so he's kind of like wrestling with him and needing a little bit of assurance. So God came to him and promised him like, I'm gonna be with you. In fact, in fact here's what God told him. He said, peace be to you. Do not fear. In fact, Gideon actually uh, built an altar before the battle, before he went out. Gideon built an altar, and here's what he called it. The Lord is peace. And then God got a little crazy because he decided to kind of whittle down uh, Gideon's army, right? I mean, he had a lot of guys like feeling a little bit confident, like we can do this, and then, and then God said, it's just too many. And, and so he whittled it down to 300 men. Like, like you're just gonna have to trust me on this one. And, and when Gideon went out to fight, and, and the, the, the Bible literally describes the scene that the, the Midianites lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, like, like camels without number as the sand that is on the seashore. So it's just like got this vast army, and then you've got, here's Gideon with 300 dudes. But we know what happened, and because we know what happened, we realize the odds didn't matter at all, did they? Because God gets the victory and saves his people and, and, and overcomes and defeats their oppressors. And, and Isaiah here in chapter nine is saying, it's like that. So, okay, so we can, I think we can trust him. But how's this gonna work? How, how does he do this? Well, the answer is in verse six. Verse six says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This child, this baby in a manger is the reason that we can have peace despite the chaos and the darkness of this world. Now, many of you know this by experience, but there's nothing quite like holding a newborn in your arms. I've had this experience a few times in my household. Yes, I know, a lot of times in my household. And, and uh, I actually had two nephews that were born in the last couple of weeks. And, and, and here's the deal. Like, after, after all the, the trauma, and, 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 and it's pretty crazy in, in the whole process. After all of that, you finally get the moment where you get to, like, hold your baby. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying that, like, I went through anything difficult, but you understand what I'm saying. It's kind of crazy. And then you finally get this moment where you're holding your baby. And it's, and it's hard to describe the, the joy and the relief. And there's also this sense of peace. Like, man, this has been a crazy day, but right now my world's good. 
And then, of course, it's kind of back into reality because a baby brings anything but peace, right? You're going you're gonna to be up all night. You're not sleeping. You got all these, you know, they constantly changing diapers and, and, and feedings and all of that. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph experienced that too. But that night in Bethlehem, the eternal son of God was stepping into our chaos and darkness as a baby to come and to change our reality and to fix the brokenness of this world. And what we learn in that moment is there's never been a baby like this one. In fact, that's why the angels show up. And the angels show up and they come announcing his birth. And do you remember what they said? Do you remember what they sang? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. He's here. So God gets the glory and you get peace. Why? Well, because of who he is and what he came to do. And Isaiah is trying to help us understand that. In fact, he, he prophesies this child's name that, that reveals his character and tells us why this child is unlike any other. He says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He has the, the legal right and the authority to rule as king. It's placed on his shoulders because he alone can carry the weight and the responsibility of power and sovereignty. He is the leader this world desperately needs. And he calls him wonderful counselor. The counselor is somebody that you go to for advice when you're needing help. And what he's saying is he has wonderful counsel. He has supernatural, incomparable wisdom. You want to listen to what he has to say. He's not some inexperienced rookie king who's learning on the job and is probably bound to make mistakes. No, no, no. He knows what he's doing and his plan and his counsel is infinitely wise. And he is mighty God. So, so, so not only is he wise in his plans, but he has the power and the ability to carry it out. There's, there's no empty promises. There, there's no disappointing failures in him. He is all-powerful, omnipotent God, and he says he is the everlasting father. Now, when, when we read everlasting father, let's just be honest, you're like, wait a minute, I thought, we're talking about Jesus, like he's the, he's the son of God, so how does that work? So, so he's not talking about uh, Jesus in relation to the Trinity here. He is the son, but, but, but this is a description of his attributes and his rule. That because he is God, then, he is eternal and an everlasting ruler, and he's not a dictator. He's a fatherly king who cares for you and who loves you. And he is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace, meaning when he reigns, war is over. He ends warfare because he wins. But it's not just the absence of conflict. In fact, that, that word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Uh, you know that this, this word means peace or, or prosperity, but it also has the idea of being safe and sound and, and complete, complete wholeness. And so when Jesus reigns, he is the prince of peace who restores things to the way they were meant to be. He brings completeness and, and wholeness back to the way it was meant to be. You see, what happened was our, our sin separated us from God. We were at war with God, and, 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 and it fractured this world. And so our relationship with God is broken, and that means our relationships with other people are broken as well, which, which, which is why we have so much tension and hatred and violence and, and, and unrest and just, just chaos in the world. But, but, but here's how 
The Prince of Peace fixed that. Paul actually lets us know this in Ephesians chapter two, and I want you to see the argument that he's making because he, he helps us understand that before we were, we were separated, we were alienated from God, but he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus made peace by submitting to a violent death and, 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 and shedding his blood on the cross. So that, so that, first and foremost, we could have peace with God. We who were once rebellious enemies of God and, and, and deserving of judgment and, and deserving of God's wrath, instead now we receive his forgiveness, we receive grace, and he adopts us as, as sons and daughters and he has brought peace and restoration to our relationship with our creator. But then he also makes peace with one another. And so we gather now as a family around the manger to worship this prince who made peace by his cross. I think about what God's done here, and when you like look around in this church, there's probably some people that you, uh, if you were honest, you probably never would have gone out of your way to get to know. Fair? People that don't look like you, they don't have the same interests as you, they're not in the same same stage of life as you, and so so like honestly, like from a from a world standpoint, it, it's kind of un, unexpected. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why this would be your, your uh, most valuable community and, and, and these would be your most important relationships. But we've become family. And this is a loving community that is living in the unity and the peace that we have because of Jesus. And so we get after that together. And we gather together on Sunday mornings to, to worship and, and, and we show up early to serve one another so that we get ready for the day and all the things that have to happen to make these things possible. And, and, and we're committed to taking time during our busy schedules to get together during the week in small groups. And, and, and we ask questions to, about the other person, not just talking about what I got going on. I want to know what's going on in your life. And, and we're sharing with one another. We care about what's going on in each other's lives. And we're texting during the week. And we're, we're, we're praying together. And we don't just wait for somebody to come. We're initiating that and, and trying to build these relationships. And we, we make food to share with each other. And we read our Bibles together. And we go out and we, we, we serve in our community. And we, we're, we're trying to help and reach other people. We're going on missions trips together. We're encouraging one another in our shared mission to make disciples for his glory. We want God to be glorified in this. And when, and it's gonna happen, when we have moments of uh, tension, maybe some, some conflict, when, when that happens, we actively pursue peace and love one another because of the love and the peace that we have in Christ. I think about 
what God's doing in our church. We're, we're in a season of growth right now, and, and I, I think it's kind of fun. Uh, to be honest, for the first time in our history, it's kind of normal for you to show up on a Sunday morning here and be worshiping with people that you look around, you, you, you're like, I've seen you a lot, I just don't know you. I don't know your name, you don't know everybody's name, you don't know everybody's stories. And, and so I just wanna say, like, that, that just makes it all the more important for us to commit to loving one another. We're trying to multiply small groups out again in January, trying to make more room for people that we would make disciples in this, which means we have to have a, a willingness to be inconvenienced a little bit for the sake of others and a, and a commitment to initiating and actively pursuing these relationships and to work hard to maintain the, the peace and the unity that we have in Christ. And I just want to tell you, this is something special, and only Jesus could accomplish this. And so we get to live out what it's like to live under his rule, his reign in God's kingdom right now. And, and look at what it says in verse seven. This is such an awesome promise for us. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We found our peace in Jesus and the good news is it doesn't end. It lasts forever. And so we celebrate Advent, because it reminds us that in the midst of all the darkness of the broken world, we see it, we feel it, but in the midst of that, the light of Jesus shines through, and we have peace no matter what the circumstances. And God is with us, and he's placed us in this loving church family where we get to begin to experience now what will finally become reality one day when he returns and he sets all things right. I think the only response we can have to that is what the angels said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God, we give you praise. We thank you for what you've accomplished. I love being a part of this church family and what you're doing. And Lord, we wanna, we wanna guard what we have here. We want to be careful that we are considering others more significant than ourselves and putting others' needs before our own. Remembering that as you have been to us, so we want to be to others, and you didn't come to be served, but you came to serve. And you were ultimately willing to humble yourself to the point of death so that we could have peace with God. We could have peace with one another. And we also have this hope, this promise that you're coming again as king, and when you do, you're gonna set all things right. So no matter how dark our days have grown, the darkness doesn't last. And the peace that we have in Jesus lasts forever, and we give you praise for that in his name.